bit between song leader and preacher, uh, it is is good to see you. Our lesson for this morning continues a study that we have begun on growth and different things, fruitful Christian growth. And we're in the fourth lesson in that series. And it's based on the text from 2 Peter chapter 1 and beginning with verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 1 and beginning with verse 5. It says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. And some of these interloop with each other. Uh, As we looked at with knowledge, it's involved in in all of these because we have to have knowledge of them in order to grow in them. And we have to have knowledge of how to grow in them. Uh, Faith is involved in all of them because without faith we're not going to to really devote ourselves to being Christ-like. But as we look at these, we, we have begun learning what we need to do as Christians. And one of the things that we recognize is that Christian growth is necessary in each of these characteristics. You all know from maybe your school days that whenever we're growing up as children, we try to make good grades. We may not always make the best. And sometimes, uh, well, maybe a lot of times, children go for being average. Average is, is not that bad. But God doesn't want us to be an average Christian. He wants us to be the very best that we can be in our Christianity, in our Christian walk. And as we do that, that doesn't mean that we are going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. We do. But we need to grow from them. We need to mature as Christians. And we should be growing. As we look at today... We should be growing in our own self-control in various situations. In verses 8 and 9 of the same chapter, 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. In regard to self-control, we want to focus on the positives and negatives of having versus lacking. And so we're going to use these verses as sort of an outline for our sermon for today. Even though we can apply these to all of them, we're going to apply it today to self-control. Our lesson objectives are, first of all, to learn the meaning and importance of self-control. And secondly, to learn the importance of maintaining self-control at all times. Self-control is probably one of the hardest things to control. We all have those that, that will test our patience to some degree. And... We have different situations that test our patience. 
but how we handle those situations is of the utmost importance when it comes to our Christian walk and our Christian example. We begin by defining self-control. What is self-control? And for those who are new to us, we do have sermon notes in the bulletins and you're welcome to follow along with the sermon through those. What is self-control? Self-control is defined as the ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires, or the expression of them in one's behavior, especially in difficult situations. Basically, it means that we are to control ourselves. It's, it's how we control ourselves. How we control our emotions, especially when those emotions are tested. How we express those emotions. In the Bible, when we look at self-control, we know that self-control is also listed in other places, such as the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, and 23, it is a fruit of the Spirit. In the King James Version, the word that is used for self-control is translated as temperance. And so that's another word that we might use to, to say self-control, temperance. How important is self-control to the life of a Christian? How important is self-control to the life of a Christian? Think about it this way. Leaders of the church, leaders in general, need to have a great deal of self-control. But it's one of the qualifications that is given for eldership and so the leaders of the church are required to have self-control in order to lead the church properly. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I want to go back to the beginning of those qualifications and look at the ones that involve self-control. A bishop then must be blameless. Is he, if he is going to be blameless and without reproach, 
then he must have self-control. Temperate. Another word for the very same. Self-control. Needs to be sober-minded. Of good behavior. Those involve self-control. Not given to wine. Not addicted to it. Not violent and not greedy for money. All of these involve self-control. Gentle and not quarrelsome. Not covetous. Those involve self-control. One who rules his own house well, that involves self-control. in how he leads his family, it's of the utmost importance that a leader in the church be able to lead his family first and foremost. If he is unable to lead his family, he is unable to lead the church. And the fact that he cannot be a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. One who is puffed up with pride is not in control of himself. Again, he must have a good testimony lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. If he, he is to have a good reputation among those who are outside of the church, those in the world, that involves self-control. A leader who is not in control of himself and his emotions is not qualified to lead the church. One who is not in control in difficult situations because there will be some. There will be members of the church that will, will test them in the way that they act toward them or the way that they speak to them. And he must be in full control of himself. But it's not just something for leaders. You see, it's something for all Christians. It's the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What kind of example do we set for others? When we lack self-control. What kind of example does that bear for someone who is looking at a Christian. And they say this is what a Christian is. And yet we lack self-control. Self-control is important. It's very important. To the life. To the growth of a Christian. turn our attention to he who has he who has self-control again let's look at 2 Peter 1 and verse 8 2 Peter 1 verse 8 
For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are different ways that we need to be in control. One of those is, is we need to be in control of our mind. Control of the mind, thoughts, and feelings. Paul taught extreme control in the life of a Christian in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You'd like to turn there and follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and beginning with verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some, with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, verse 9, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Even those things that are right are not right for us in certain situations. It was lawful to eat meat that had been offered to idols because it's all it is, it's meat. But there are some who are weaker. And some who are weaker who must be aware of their weakness and our example before them. And it could be that we could be causing ourselves to be a stumbling block for one who is weaker. Causing a brother to stumble is a serious offense and Paul was willing to sacrifice his own right to eat meat so as not to cause a brother to stumble. That's extreme self-control. He teaches that we need to be in control of ourselves. And he even tells that he himself would go to a great extreme 
so as not to be a stumbling block to another. We need to be in control in times of temptation because we know that we are going to be faced with temptation. Jesus is the the greatest example of control in time of temptation. Matthew 4, and beginning with verse 1. Matthew 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We're not going to look at the other temptations, but look at this one alone. Look at where Jesus was. Look at what he was going through. He is fasting. And he must have been hungry. He must have been thirsty. And Satan comes to him and he tempts him with this very thing. Take these stones. Command that they be bread. But Jesus remembered the words of Scripture and the greater need for them. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Joseph is another great example of control in time of temptation. Genesis 39, and beginning with verse 1, Genesis 39 Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. In verse 6, at the tail end of that verse, we read, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused. And said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. 
But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought into to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, and it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Verse 16, So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there. It was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph was tempted by his master's wife. But Joseph withstood the temptations of her. Had he sinned with her, had he done as she wished, nothing more may have been said or realized, at least for a time, as long as she was happy. He may have enjoyed the passing pleasures of sin for a season. Hebrews 11, 25. But he didn't. He chose to obey God rather than his emotions, his mind, his thought process, his body. We need to have control when faith is tested. Take a a moment to look at Abraham. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. As far as we know from Scripture, he did not curse God or or complain about his trial. He simply did what God commanded him to do, putting his full faith in the Father. The Christian is expected to be in control of his mind, body, and emotions at all times. And should he fail to be in control, he risks setting a poor example for others of what a Christian should be. And should he continue on this path, he risks dishonoring God. And he risks his own salvation. 
Let's close our lesson by looking at he who lacks. What about the one who lacks self-control? 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 9. 2 Peter 1 verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You see, he who lacks self-control is spiritually short-sighted and blind. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 is one of my favorite verses. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We as Christians, we, we walk not by what we can see, not by the physical eye, but we walk in faith of what God has revealed to us. We see what God wants us to see by faith, even though the physical cannot behold them. He who lacks self-control lacks in true faith and has forgotten his own salvation. Self-control for the Christian requires growth. And growth requires dedication and practice. And he who lacks such dedication to growth lacks faith. There are those who have set an example for it. A negative example, but an example nonetheless. We have those who, who suffered from a lack of control of their own desires. Take Ananias and Sapphira, for instance. Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. Acts 5 and verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. In verse 7, now it was about three hours later, when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord. They failed to control their own pride and greed enough to at least tell the truth about the matter. They could have controlled themselves, but they failed to grow as Christians. And they lied to the Spirit. Though they kept back some of the proceeds, it was within their right as sellers of the land to keep such. Why? Why would they do this? 
maybe to, to make themselves look better in the eyes of others. But whatever the reason, they lied about the amount to pad their own pride. Judas Iscariot is another example. Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. As it reads here, and as I understand it from Scripture, he wasn't even confronted by the chief priests. But he said to them, he went to the chief priests and asked what they would be willing to give him. He lacked control of his greed. And so Judas is so well known as betraying the Son of God. Both of these examples lacked control of their own desires. There's other examples of, of a lack of control. One of those is found in David, a great man of faith, who lacked control and temptation. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. 2 Samuel 11 verse 1. And it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings could go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him. And he lay with her, for she was cleansed from, from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David, and said, I am with child. As we, we look at just these few verses, David probably shouldn't have been on the roof. And even so, he should have turned away when seeing Bathsheba bathing. And he should not have done any of the things that he did following. The beginning of, of verse 5 is a snowball of events that David participated in, that David controlled, that were sins against God. He was tempted, and in a moment where he lacked needed self-control, he gave in to his fleshly desires for a woman that was not his to take. In these moments of weakness, this great man of faith fell to the temptations of the devil. It shows us that it can happen to any of us. David had one of the closest relationships with God, and yet he failed. And sometimes that may be us too. 
Sometimes it may be us that fail. The light is seen in chapter 12. To some degree in His forgiveness, His repentance. Self-control is a Christian virtue that should be a part of the lives of every Christian. Some have greater self-control than others, but we all must grow in control of our own emotions, desires, as well as our physical actions. He who has control honors God and sets the good example for others. He who lacks control lacks faith and is unable to see beyond the desires of the moment. You see, whenever we see something with our physical eye that we long for, something that we desire, we may not see well into the future without faith. One who is just short-sighted, spiritually speaking, is unable to see the calamity that will be caused by following such desires. Did David see the consequences of his actions and the death of his own child when he called for Bathsheba? Did Judas see himself hung from a tree over his own grief? Did Ananias and Sapphira see their doom as a result of their lies? They did not. They did not see the consequences of their actions. They were not looking by faith. They were looking with the physical eye and the physical eye cannot see those things. They looked at what they had in life and what they wanted and what could be but they failed to see what would be in following these sinful actions. Are you spiritually in control of your life? The Bible tells us in a couple of different places it gives us good uh, reference for, for things like this. Romans 12 and verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In 1 John 2 verses 15 through 17, we are told not to love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Do not be overcome with evil. Overcome the things of the world. But how? 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. See, we can do nothing to cleanse ourselves, but one has been sent to provide that cleansing. We have help from Christ 
whose blood cleanses us from our sin. But how do we come in contact with that blood? We do so by faithful obedience. By faith. Obeying the Word of God. Hearing, believing, confessing that faith. Repenting, being baptized for the remission of sins. By obeying the Gospel, we can be cleansed from our sins. But it also requires our faithfulness. Again, we're not perfect. God expects perfection, but only through the blood of Christ. He knows us. He knows that we sin. But we need to grow. We need to grow in our faith. We need to add to our faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, and the other things that we'll look at in coming weeks. And as we add to them, we prepare ourselves to remain faithful unto God. Maybe it is that you need to obey the gospel. Maybe you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And we'd be glad to help you in that need. Maybe it is that, that you realize that you're not perfect. But you also realize that you're not right in the sight of God. Maybe you need to come back. Maybe you need to ask for prayer, for help, for forgiveness. But if you do have any need whatsoever, we offer you the Lord's invitation. We offer it to you now. And if you're in need of responding, then we would hope that you would come. As together we stand and as we sing. Live for 